0: Well, good day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt, and this ministry has been prepared for March the 26th, 2023. Uh, it's great you're watching with us. Welcome. Hear these words of scripture as we begin from Psalm 43 Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From deceitful and unjust men, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Uh, well, he's a God of refuge indeed, and so we sing his praise as we start. Well, let's pray as we come to hear God's word together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would look on mercy on all your people, that by your great goodness they may be governed and preserved evermore. Father, as we look at your word, please guide us, please speak to us, please help us to hear you speak clearly. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today begin in the Old Testament with Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through to 10. And our psalm for today is Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112. And then our New Testament reading, which I'll share from in a moment, is Acts 11, 19 through to 30, right to the back half of chapter 11. And then also the first three verses of chapter 13. Right, so 11, 19 to 30, and 13, 1 to 3. Have a read of those, pause the video, and then we'll come back and think about it together in a moment. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please guide us now in this time as we think about your word together. Please speak to us. Please guide us by your Spirit. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever given much thought to your family tree. Uh, It's often fun to look back and see who's in our family line, where they're from and what they did. Now, for as long as I can remember, my mum has always loved family trees and she was into into it before Ancestry.com became a thing. And I remember as a year seven student back in school, being given an assignment to go away and make a family tree. Most people came back with a printed out A4 or a couple of A4 pages stuck together but mine was in a totally different weight class. I had this enormous thing, about 58 A4 pages, stuck together, and it covered one whole side of the classroom. Now, it's great to look back and see who's in our family. It's great to see uh, the ways that perhaps even we are different to them. But what about our spiritual heritage? What about a spiritual family tree? Now, up to this point in the book of Acts, we've basically only heard about followers of Jesus who are amongst people of Jewish heritage with a few exceptions but I'm not Jewish and I suspect that most people watching aren't Jewish either and so what we see here is the forming in Acts 11 and 13 the forming of our spiritual heritage what we see is the first non-Jewish Christian church appear and so I think we should be at least a little bit interested to see what they are like and maybe even asking how can they be an encouragement to us now, in the chapter, chapter before this, in Acts, we saw a major development. Uh, Peter and the other apostles, they come to see that the good news of Jesus is good news for people of all nations, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, people like us. If you've got an outline, if you've got the email, uh, you'll see where we're, going in this, where we're going in this talk and the structure of the passage. Point one, we have, we have a church here that's being planted. Point two, a church that establishes. And point three, a church that listens and loves. And so point one, we see a church that's planted. In Acts so far, we've seen individuals come to Jesus. We've seen groups of thousands come to Jesus. But now what we see here is a city that's being transformed by Jesus. Now, you might like to follow along with me. Have a look at verse 19 in chapter 11. We read, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch spent spreading the word only among Jews now this is the background right Uh, earlier on the end of Acts chapter 7 we see Stephen he's the first Christian martyr dies for his faith in Jesus then at the start of chapter 8 we're told that all the believers in Jerusalem where that happened except the Apostles they all scatter they all go out but then chapter 8 verse 4 those who had been scattered Preach the word wherever they went. Right? That's the background to what we read here. And so back in chapter 11 now, verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, only a chapter ago, it took divine intervention to persuade Peter to preach the gospel to Gentiles also non-Jews, but here it seemed to have happened amongst the people almost casually without any objection from them. Now, we're not told why there's no objection, but what we do know is that as they come to Antioch, they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel that Jesus is Lord. And in just these two verses, we see how the risen Lord Jesus is actually continuing to, uh, to fulfill his promise. promise he made back in acts 1 verse 8 that his followers would be eyewitnesses of jesus to people of all the world now for you uh, as you read this these places they may just be names on a bit of paper and so to help you if you're watching on youtube uh here's a map uh if you're on soundcloud sorry guys but here's a map now what you can see is jerusalem it's it's down the bottom here and antioch is actually all the way up here, right? The Old Testament stuff happened in around Jerusalem in this area, but Antioch's all the way at the top. And in verse 20, I were told that people from Cyprus and Cyrene came to Antioch to preach the gospel. Now, where's Cyprus? It's this island that's over in the middle of the ocean. And where's Cyrene? It's even further away. It's at the top of Africa, right? Over beyond Egypt. And so if you're one of the people in the first century, What you would see here, it would have felt like going halfway around the world. Can you see the wonderful work that Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, seated in heaven, is doing since his ascension, is continuing to do? Now, what we see here in verses 19 and 20 is that Antioch is becoming a center, a new center for believers. Or in our language, it's a church that's being planted. And Antioch was the third largest uh, city in the in the Roman Empire, it had about half a million people there, and so we might be tempted to say, "Hey, this is a really strategic point to be, uh, strategic place rather to be to be planting a church." But as always, in the Book of Acts, this is not simply people doing what they thought was going to be best or, or most strategic. Now, this is the risen Lord Jesus guiding His people as this new ch- new church is being planted. And then verse twenty-one. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Our Lord Jesus, he never ceases to be at work. And just like in the early chapters of Acts back in Jerusalem, what we see here is great numbers of people giving their lives to him. And I think at this point, what the author Luke, what he's trying to help us see, is a parallel between Jerusalem and Antioch. Because what Jesus did in Jerusalem, he is now doing in Antioch. This is the next stage, if you like, of his global mission. And make no mistake, this is a wonderful thing. But is that it? Right? Does Jesus want them simply to plant a church, to make disciples and then box tick, who's next? Is that it? No, of course not. What we're seeing here is not just a church that, that Jesus has planted where he wants people to come to faith. But point two, the church in Antioch is also one that establishes people in the faith. Right, Jesus doesn't want people to simply become disciples, but to grow as disciples as well. And so verse 22, at the church in Jerusalem, they see that there's good things happening down in Antioch. And so what do they do? They send old Barnabas over. Barnabas, who we've actually met before, uh, and his name is really a nickname. It means encourager. And so what do we see him doing as he gets to Antioch? Well, he's encouraging them, of course, isn't he? Verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of god had done he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the lord with all their hearts now what does it mean though to encourage them does it mean that he gave them a hug does it mean that he said hey good job guys high five right is that what it means no way it's way more than that way more than that according to verse 23 there he encouraged them to remain true to the lord with all their heart. I mean, what is that? Other than sharing the gospel with them. I want to make it really clear. We never outgrow the gospel. The gospel is how we come to faith. And it's only the gospel, as it captivates our hearts, that we can then live lives that are transformed because of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the why of everything that we do, the why of the way that we live. Now, the thing that motivates and encourages us is to be constantly reminded of God's love to us in Jesus, that he died for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have new life with the maker of the universe. And that's massive. It is. That's massive. And since establishing this this early church, is a this church plant rather is a big job, what does Barnabas do? Like any good Aussie he calls out for help he finds a mate to help him and so uh, he goes and finds his mate Saul verse 26 and what do they do together for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people Right together they're establishing people in the faith and you might think as you read this that sounds like a long time for Paul for Saul here right Normally we, when we see him, he's bouncing from church to church and then he's writing letters when he can't visit people. And yeah, this may sound like a long time for Paul. This is a long time in the context of Paul's life. But that's because discipleship really matters. Alright, so at this point we need to think about ourselves and others as we think of discipleship. I mean, for ourselves, it begins by, by starting with what I said earlier. That we never outgrow the gospel. But while we never outgrow the gospel, we shouldn't be content to, to never take things deeper either. Right In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul, he rebukes the church there that they weren't yet ready for solid food. Right, He said, you guys continue to need basic milk. Right, The basics of the gospel over and over again. They weren't ready to move on. And I wonder, if Saul and Barnabas were with us, what would they say to each one of us? Now, for some of us, they might say, you haven't thought about this enough yet. You haven't got a real grip on the gospel about why Jesus is good news. Or to put it another way, why Easter Friday, why we call it Good Friday. But for others, I mean, Saul and Barnabas, they may say, press on, right? You understand how God's love and God's justice come together at the cross in Jesus. And that's wonderful, but don't stop there. Right? Let your whole life be a wonderful immersion into a deeper knowledge of God's love for you and of his character. And so a question I want to ask you now is, what might it look like for you to take another step as a disciple of Jesus? Now, the desire to be growing, mature disciples of Jesus is, like, that's the reason why we ran out, our, for our teenagers, our Grow uh, event, a whole bunch of, a few weeks ago right we don't want them to be simply content to have a faith in Jesus we want them to be growing as mature disciples of him we want them as they leave for university or wherever they're going to be to have a strong foundation right? to know what they believe and to know how to wrestle well with God's Word together because Jesus gave his life for us we should long to continue growing as his followers I think at this point we don't only need to value our own discipleship we need to think about others too. Now a number of weeks ago Adam challenged us to think about who was it who first shared who first read the Bible with us and who could we be reading the Bible with in turn people who don't yet know Jesus. But I want to suggest that the same kind of question could be asked about who first helped establish and grow us in the faith. Now for me the guy who helped me take leaps and bounds in Christian growth was a guy named Dave. Right, Dave met with me once a week for half an hour before work to read the Bible. Right? We wrestled with what the big story, what the big picture of the Bible is, and, and what it means for me. He helped me think about uh, what are the implications for following Jesus in my life. How do I take my faith seriously? And how do I be a man who, who, who's, who do I, how do I be a Christian man, rather, living in this world that rejects him? All right. Titus 2 says that older women should be doing this with younger women also. And so my question for you is, who could you be an encouragement to? Who could you be a Barnabas to? What can you be doing to encourage others to be growing in their faith also? Now, yeah. in verse 26, We're told that Barnabas and Saul, they're doing this with a great number of people. So who is one person who you could do this with to start? Well, before we move on to the next section, uh, what we finally see here in that same verse, the end of verse 26, is that it's in this moment, the church in Antioch, they're also given a new identity. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Right, so now that these believers, they're no longer being thought of as a, some kind of, you know, subsect to, to Judaism. No, they're being seen as distinct followers of Jesus the Christ. Now, historians will tell us that Antioch was a place that loved to give other people nicknames. And that's probably what's happened here. And you can almost guarantee that it's a—it's a little, at least a little bit of ridicule going on at the same time. But nevertheless, this is the same name that we bear today. This is our heritage. This new identity there given in Antioch is also the identity of any of us who claim the name of Jesus. We belong to the one who gave his life for us. And as is the case with the churches in Antioch and Jerusalem, we belong together in unity with believers right around the world. Now here we have two centers for mission in the early church. We have Jerusalem, we have Antioch rather, and Jerusalem. One who has its roots in the other. And it's a relationship not of rivalry and competition, but of love and genuine unity. And the final point about this new genuinely Christian church in Antioch is that they're a church that listens and a church that loves. And by that I mean that they're a church who are receptive to the voice of God. And as a result of that, they're a church who has a heart for generosity and a heart for sending now as we keep reading verse 27 we see that the jerusalem church they still continue to support antioch and they said they do that by sending some word gift people and now when we read of prophets then in verse 27 We shouldn't read one-size-fits-all, rather we actually need to do some hard work in the Scriptures and think about what the difference is between prophecy in the Old and New Testament, and then what it continues to develop into uh, as the New Testament progresses. Now if you want to talk about that, I'd love to have the conversation, but for the moment I'll simply say that whenever we hear something, no matter what it is, we need to be testing it back. It's good for us to test it back against the picture of discipleship and the promises that God has already given us on the pages of Scripture. However, in this instance, Agabus, who we meet in verse 28, is someone who is, uh, is given a particular word from God at a particular moment in history. And God's revealed to him that a famine's coming, right? There's going to be a shortage of food. And we're told explicitly that this is a word from the Spirit. And so the people respond, respond appropriately uh, and they're receptive to God's word. But they listen to it and they take action. And so, then, for them knowing that the church in Jerusalem is going to be hit particularly hard by this, right? They rally together. They bring, they scoop up some money together, and they send it off as a gift, so that the church in Jerusalem can buy some money in advance uh, to to fight off this coming crisis. Now, by itself, this gift is helpful, right? But I think it's also deeply symbolically important, right? It under underlies the link between the church in Antioch and its mother church in Jerusalem. Right, the Gentile church, they recognize their own indebtedness to Jerusalem because of the ones who sent them the gospel in the first place and sent them their little church leaders as well. And I want to say, what a beautiful response to the gospel. And I want to ask us, do our hearts respond in generosity like this when we hear the gospel as well? Now, during the week, uh, our church at the moment is running a marriage enrichment course, and Dee, my wife, and I, we stopped and reflected during the course on people who uh, we we looked up to for various reasons. And one of the people we both agreed upon, I won't tell you their name, but it was someone who we wished we had their heart for generosity. It's someone who has been totally uh, captivated by the gospel, they can't help then but be generous to Christian brothers and sisters and to the work of the gospel both locally and globally this kind of generosity it's in our heritage in the heritage of this church here we see in Antioch and so the question for us then is will it continue on not because of obligation but because we have a love for God and a love for others now as we get into the first three verses of chapter 13 we uh We see again that the church in Antioch they're receptive to the word of God and 13 verse 1 and now in the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers Uh, we're given a whole list of people then that follows and we're not told uh, which ones are prophets and which ones are teachers i think in reality the line is pretty hard to distinguish between them uh, in this case because both groups are involved in explaining the word of God to people and how it should impact their lives but for these leaders while they're they're gathering while they're meeting and a meeting and devoted worship of God. The Holy Spirit speaks, we're told. And I think at this point that probably happens through one of the prophets. And what we find then is the first piece of, of planned overseas mission beginning. Right in verse three is Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, uh, Saul rather at this point, are committed to the grace of the Lord Jesus and then sent off. Now for the rest of the leaders in the church, I think the most tempting thing at this point would be to say, guys, don't go, wait. We're an early church. We're just growing. We need you. But they don't do that. They're receptive to the word of God. They hear it and they respond by taking action. By sending them out willingly. What a wonderful thing it is to be a sending church. Now, it doesn't look the same for us in our context. But how great is it when people come in to our church, when they perhaps even meet Jesus for the first time, when they're grown in Him, and then when they're sent off for work or study, whatever reason, to then be an encouragement to other people. Now, for us as the church, this is another reason why we have our, have the the growth sessions for our teenagers, for our youth, our senior youth group kids, because we want wherever they go, for uni, whatever it looks like, we want them to be a someone who can serve others with the gospel, someone who can. Share the good news of Jesus, someone who can grow disciples of Jesus. In fact, I think just like in the Antioch Church, the marks of a healthy church is one that's ascending church. And so we should desire to be ascending church ourselves. We should desire that our diocese is ascending diocese, that some of our best people will not stay, but go be trained, equipped and then go and be full time gospel workers, be that back here somewhere with us or In different parts of the country or world in fact we should pray that some of us also feel so convicted in God's global mission that we see clearly going on here that even we consider how God can be using us in other parts of the world that's the that's the kind of thing that's going on here in this church now can you see the wonderful things that are going on in this new planet church can you see the way that God is continuing to work in and through them and can you see the ways that is continuing to call us and work in and through us desiring that we also grow as disciples to make disciples then for the glory of Jesus All Right, this is our last time in Acts for a little while we'll be back we'll be back a bit later on uh, in the year but I hope you can see how this is another major point of, de- of development in the narrative All Right, it marks a great shift as Peter and the, and the rest of the apostles no longer take kind of center stage. In fact, Peter's only mentioned once more in the whole book of Acts after chapter 13. But rather, Paul and Barnabas now uh, take up the, the primary role through which Jesus sends his gospel out to the nations. And it marks a shift as disciples of Jesus here are given a new identity. They're called Christians. It's an identity, identity that we share as we also bear the name of the one who died for us. Now I heard that uh, Alexander the Great had uh, in his army another soldier. He found out whose name was Alexander, but he was a notorious coward. And the story goes that Alexander the Great brought this soldier before him and said, Is your name Alexander? Are you named for me? And this cowardous soldier said, my name is Alexander, and I was named for you. And the great general then said, Then son, either change your name or be brave. All right, thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't say this to us. But as his people, we bear his name, as this first non-Jewish church in Antioch also bore his name. And if we bear the name of Jesus, the one who gave his life for us, then how can our lives not be lived also transformed by his glory friends let's live for the one who died for us and gives us his name let's pray heavenly father we pray that that would be true for us that we would that we would seek to be reminded of the gospel over and over again and that we would be continuing on in the faith that you would grow us to be mature disciples of jesus and that we would hear your word and respond to it appropriately, that we would let it grow us and shape us, that we would let it captivate our hearts so that we respond in generosity and respond in a willingness to be ascending church. Father, we pray that you would do this work in our lives, in our churches, to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, We go now to another time of praise. come now to a time of prayer. And so as that blue screen comes up in a moment, pause the video and be praying for things that are happening out of our passage, but also in your life, in the life of our community and our church, and also right around the world. Uh, Let's be a people who commit to praying. After we do, then we'll go to another time of praise.
1: Belong to the day, to the day that is to come, when the night falls away, and I'll say
0: As we finish, let me encourage you with the words that we find at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. These are great words of encouragement. Uh, Have a great week and we'll see you next time.